What is going on, folks? Thank you so much for checking out All Sports Best today. If today is the first time you've ever listened to the show, believe me, you will not be disappointed. It means so much to us, by the way. If you could go on to the platform you're listening to this podcast from and just take a few seconds of your time to give us a review. And uh, if, if you want to wait until the end of the podcast, that's totally fine, too. Just uh, just know that that means a whole lot to us. Today we have Daniel Rodriguez on the show. He has done it all. I'm telling you, everything that he has set his mind to, he has done. He's a former Army vet. He is a, a Division One football player, professional football player. He is an author, a speaker, a musician, and he's actually an actor, and he plays himself in the movie The Outpost on Netflix right now. And this is no B-movie, guys. I'm talking about a really... Really solid movie. It's got Orlando Bloom in it. It's got Scott Eastwood in it. And if you like to watch war movies, I'm going to tell you I compared it to American Sniper in my book. So I would challenge you to go and watch that and then tell us what you think on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. All you got to do is go and type in All Sports Best and you can find us, guys. Without further ado, here's our interview with Daniel Rodriguez. Welcome to the All Sports Best Podcast. Turn up the volume because it's time for your favorite sports show. Your one-stop shop for sports talk. Three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to All Sports Best. Today, I am extremely excited, extremely honored to have on a former sergeant in the Army, Purple Heart recipient, author, actor, speaker, musician, former Clemson wide receiver. I mean, the list goes on, and I'm excited to talk all about it with Daniel Rodriguez. Daniel, man, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Trey. Thank you so much for having me. Did that <laughs> Did that intro do any justice to what you do? <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's it, it's just my life, so it, it, it did perfect justice. It, it describes me, so it's nothing that I'm trying to live up to or compete with. So, you know, it's just my life, and it's, it's kind of funny to listen to it when somebody else says it because it is a pretty, pretty – uh variety a big variety of lists there that goes goes on so yeah no doubt okay so um first and foremost i just want to say thank you for your service you have really you know put your life on the line for our country and i appreciate that so much so thank you thank you for that okay so i'm gonna start it off um i watched your movie on netflix which is a highly regarded movie very very good movie and I recommend this, not just saying this because you're on the show. I'll be honest with you, um, full disclosure, I was like, guy playing himself in a movie, I've seen this, you know, I've seen this happen before, it, it doesn't t- typically end well, and it was a really good job on your part, and so uh, so I do commend you for that, but uh, the movie is called Outpost, it's on Netflix, how exciting was it to see it go to Netflix and uh, that major streaming platform? It was it was exciting. It was it was kind of like a relief um, because there was actually really high expectations for it to have. Uh, I mean, a, a global um, release. I mean, we were going to air and we had some Australian cast, we had some European cast, so it was going to be kind of a big deal. Mm. And then when COVID happened this year, it kind of derailed um, that process. And we were also going to release it at South by Southwest down in Austin, Texas. So we had like a really big um, premiere. Uh, uh, expo going into it and everything so when everything kind of um went off we were kind of left up in the air of like okay where's it gonna go now and then the first yeah. thing was itunes that picked it up so that was really promising that somebody you know still wanted to have a streamable service and then lo and behold to our 
not knowing at the time that this year would turn into the stream stream 101 right like everybody's right. streaming can't put enough content up for people so it was actually kind of in a way beneficial to the exposure of the film and and so easily accessible for people um that it really caught good traction on itunes and then literally i think within a month or two netflix uh purchase it or however the agreement goes to put it on their their mm. streaming platform so it was it was exciting for for you for me as an actor for us as the cast um to have worked so hard think for a second that it's not going to get the love and um you know promise that we wanted and also it, it as an actor you want to see yourself on big screen like you want to go and have that feeling of seeing surround sound seeing what the audience thinks about the movie like just feeling that and you know we didn't I haven't gotten to get that with this film. Um, I know a lot of guys haven't, but at the same time, I think the film is so much bigger than the film. Um, the story in the film, excuse me, is so much bigger than just the film itself that uh, for me, it's just kind of, it's, I'm just grateful that it's being well accepted, received, that the families are happy and, mm. uh, and, and, and it's, um, and it's getting good praise um, for all the work that was put into it. I will say, I'd say that would probably be the most important thing. The families feel represented correctly. Right. And, yeah. So, I mean, that's really cool. You played yourself in the movie, like I said before. I mean, can you tell me about that wild ride of of going back um, into that mindset, kind of being on that battlefield and um, kind of reliving it? Yeah, it wasn't the easiest thing. Uh, I was in I was living in L.A. and I wanted. So after Clemson, I kind of went out there um, and I was doing some stuff, pursuing some acting on the side, nothing crazy. But then. Mm. Um, a guy named Jake Tapper, who's a CNN reporter, does some of the presidential debates, kind of a prominent figure. He wrote the book called The, Out the Outpost. So the, okay. adaptation of, the adaptation of that movie is from a book called The Outpost written by Jake Tapper. And so Jake and I have been friends because two of my friends have Medal of Honors. And he, he wrote the book, obviously. And then I've been to the White House a few times for the ceremonies, met some presidents. And so I've just had relationships with him and he called me. He's like, hey, man, this is going to get made into a movie. Do you, are you cool with the directors and uh, those guys kind of like talking to you about your experiences, maybe be a, um, a consultant on the film? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So I rode my I was so close. I rode my bike to this interview with the uh, oh man what's it, with Rod Lurie, the director. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, you know. You know, we're going through, we're going through it. And he's like, man, you're still in pretty good shape. You look young. How old are you? And I was talking to him. I was like, well, I mean, and then I just took it out upon myself. I was like, well, who do y'all have playing me? And they're like, well, we haven't casted you yet. You know, wow. and I was like, well, you know, I'd love to be a part of it. And I think it'd be something. And uh, so he was like, well, uh, let me see. You know, this is a pretty big budgeted movie in terms of just like where it's at. Obviously, funds are allocated to actors and everything's already been put in place. So just to sure. put in another actor and kind of like rewrite the script literally um is kind of unheard of but they were kind of about it and thought that i would make a good addition to it probably on a marketing sense mm -hmm. so i think i was probably said oh yeah we'll put him in a scene and then you can advertise it as like a real actor plays himself etc that's that's how i took it sure and then but once i got on set uh you know, I just had to prove my value like anything else, like walking onto a football team or, you know, being undrafted to the NFL. Like, I just knew that I was going to have to show my worth and show how hard I was going to work. So I literally never left set all 30. I was only supposed to be out there for a weekend shoot, and I ended up crushing one my first scene. They rewrote the script every night, and I was on set for 30 days in Bulgaria filming. So some of the mm. scenes are were deleted. There's an editor's cut uh, that's going to be releasing in a few months. It has some more deleted scenes that I was in. Um, but – 
in a nutshell, it was weird going back. Like I did yeah. all that. I, I thought I was extremely anxious to do this. I was extremely anxious. But then when I walked back on the set, it was so real and so <laughs> daunting in a way um, that for a moment I was like, all right, what am I doing? Um, but yeah. then it was just, but then it was like, you know, this, this can add authenticity to the film. And I think a lot of people um, appreciated my insight and helpfulness and realism um so it was cool it, it, i felt it was a very therapeutic relief to have finished it kind of walk away from it and now i can kind of when people ask me about it i'm just like you know what i don't want to talk about it or not have you seen the movie outpost i can kind of direct them to a portrayal of what it was like so yeah. i don't really got go into it so it was it's it was nice no kidding okay so with that being said and you said you've crushed your first scene i agree with that if i'm correct on this your first scene was when they first kind of introduced you they put your name in front of you and uh you're playing cards correct yeah 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 but, uh, mm -hmm. okay cool because that's when i first noticed you and i thought okay i'm gonna i mean i'm no critic when it comes to movies but when i see people that play themselves and and they try really hard it just felt so natural there um, and I was like, I'm going to dig this movie. I know I am. So um, after that, it was just a matter of, of loving. And I won't do any spoilers or anything like that. I completely urge anybody that's listening to this podcast to go and watch it for yourself. If you've already watched it, tell somebody else to watch it. I'm telling you, uh, this movie is has so much impact. I feel like I appreciate what you did, what um, soldiers do all across um, just that much more. I know I know it, it, I mean, it means a lot. So I'm actually I liked I used to like more movies when I was younger. Um, but after the military, I kind of really didn't care to watch them anymore. Mm. And it took me a while to kind of watch this one because I knew what happened. I was on set. So, I, you know, I kind of understood. Um, but I going back and watching it and kind of just appreciating the cinematography and the efforts put in by the other actors. Um, oh, yeah, I'm really proud of it. And I think it's I think it's a um, true and uh real representation so I'm, I'm extremely proud of it so i gotta know this before we move on past the movie how do they replicate the explosions and the gunshots and stuff like that and it be completely safe but look so real is it go all pro post-production or it happens would, would, a lot of it is post-production but okay. the actual like well it's it's kind of half and half like you know well it's not my profession in that but mm. from what i've seen and what i gather it's you know, a lot of VFX on the back end are, will kind of give you, like, the, the flashes more so. But the actual, like, explosions and dirts and what looks like rocks and stuff is kind of all, like, just air. Like, you know, they'll dig a hole and put, like, like you know, these air things in it. And then, you know, mm. everything's fake. All the rocks are, like, foam. So they chop them up and spray paint them and make them look like rocks. So it's, like, just looks like dirt. And then, you know, when you hit it, you have your steps timed out. And they're going to say, we're going to hit the timer here. So, you know, when the dust is going to fly up. You know, so it, it's smoke and mirrors, really. So it is real. You know, the sounds are there. They, they say bang when there's a bang. So, you know, when the explosion's going to come in on the post-production. So it's a lot. It's, it is an art form, you know, that yeah. I think a lot of people overlook because we're just entertained by something. We can change the channel on it. But even the detail to something as small as an infomercial or something like that takes some type of uh, putting together if it has like a post-production um, effort in it. So, yeah, it's really cool to to see how it looks on set because you're like okay this is cool but i i don't i don't see it but then the director sees it and when he goes post-production you see the movie you're like oh, okay that's really cool <laughs> yeah yeah no kidding i can't even imagine going back to watch it that's super awesome yeah all right so um you received a purple heart 
you have a bronze star. What was it like to to get those honors? Uh, it was cool. So it's a BSMV, so I have a bronze star medal of valor. So not to like be like a stickler about it, but I was actually put in for a silver star and I got shafted on that. So mm. people when people have a bronze star might actually have a higher because the BSMV is higher than the bronze star. Okay. Yeah, so I have a BSMV, a bronze star medal of valor, and a purple heart. Um, and I mean, I was just doing my job, bro. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't join the military to get accolades. In fact, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about rank. I didn't. I went. I went in as a private, completely oblivious. Although my father was a veteran, like he was a Vietnam veteran, era infantry, didn't tell me about it. You know, like uh, it wasn't something that I was intrigued by in mm. terms of wanting to do. So. Um, yeah, no, I, I kind of went in completely, completely blind to the fact. But uh, I'm sorry, what was your question again? I kind of went on. A, you were I was just that. asking what it was like to get that. I mean, after everything uh, yeah. that happened. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't join the army to get accolades. Yeah, so I mean, it, it was, it was, it was weird because I really appreciated the fact that that you know you get recognized for your actions, but then a lot of times what I endured in that the day I got my awards, if you will, mm. I feel like a lot of people did a lot more or suffered a lot more than I did in some form or facet. So to have the same award as somebody without a leg or an arm kind of had a weight to it as well. Mm. And then also upon returning home, your people are calling you a hero and shit and you're just, can I cuss? I'm sorry. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. People are calling you a hero and you're just like, you know, you, Again, I I literally volunteered. You know, I was trying to do just do my job and get my buddies home. And mm -hmm. and, that, and and on that, I didn't get all my buddies home. So it's kind of weird to have it uh, at first for me, and still today at times. But it's it's to know what the sacrifice is to get the award, and know what I went through to have even been recognized for it. Um, I'm just honored and grateful, and you know, I'm I'm happy to still be alive, and uh, I just try to represent the awards as best as I can by what I do with my life, you know, still be valor, still be brave and uh, continue to truck on. Like, you know, those awards weren't just on the battlefield. Like this is my life. So that, that battlefield was a part of my life. So I got to keep on going, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You have a tattoo. I, I saw this on a documentary. You have a tattoo that reads freedom isn't free. You probably know this more than anybody else. I mean, is that something that means more to you than, than most things? In a way, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of will say, you know, I was kind of like the, the typical army guy, went in 18 and was getting random tattoos. But this one, this one I actually got when I came home on leave from Afghanistan. So I had actually mm. just through war. Um, I just got my Purple Heart and I had like two weeks home. And uh, yeah, I still had like shrapnel in me. And so I went and got it because it was just like eight of my friends just died a few weeks before. So yeah. I went and then. And I went back to Afghanistan with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just a reminder, I, I guess, you know, it's a, you know, I, I guess that's all my ink, really. It kind of just takes you back to a place in time of where you got it, when you got it, or at least for me. Um, and that, and that was, and that, yeah, it's just, it, it just, it keeps, it just reminds me that, you know, there's been a sacrifice for where I'm at. My, like my freedoms or the, the freedom to do what I want, you know, yeah, uh, comes came or stemmed you know from something greater or deeper in my own personal life uh so yeah it's it's a it's a it's just a token of appreciation a symbol for you know my buddies and also just a reminder like hey you know it's not free like somebody you know somebody really put their life on the line or gave their life um for what we believe in in our ideology here as americans so mm -hmm. yeah man you played high school football 
Then you served in Afghanistan. Then when you came back and, and everything had happened, you, uh, you, went to, you wanted to play college football. What went into making that decision and how difficult was it to make that choice? It wasn't difficult at all. I mean, I wanted to play college NFL since I was three years old. So mm-hmm. I, I, it, I mean, my father was the athletic director at the Marine Corps base of Quantico. So I grew up in Northern Virginia area and I lived in the gym. I mean, I could dribble and throw tennis balls pr- practically before I could walk. And that's like a true story. Dang. And so I, my father wanted a world-class athlete. Like, you know, I, I, I was playing AAU basketball competitively. He was my coach. I was six and I was playing 10 and under. So I literally played 10 and under for four years before I even went up, would go on to like competitive sports, just ride the bench and practice. Like my dad was grooming me. Wow. Um, so fast forward into high school. I mean, I played everything, baseball, soccer, football, basketball, never left the field in football. I'm AAU champion, state champion in basketball two years in a row. Like, like that it just ball was life, bro. I was a ball. No kidding. Um, and so, like, I had, like, Division two offers, some small stuff coming out of college, but it wasn't anything uh, major. And what was also a huge uh, obstacle for me is I barely tried in high school. Like, it was – if I put any effort into it, to my schoolwork as much as I did to circumvent and kind of cheat the system, I would have probably gotten straight A's. Mm. But I graduated with a 1.9 GPA and – did and my SATs were shit. I mean, I took him. My mom paid for me to take him. My parents were going through separation. I was kind of rebellious. I smoked a lot of weed. Mm. Like I just I didn't really care about school, and I didn't. And I felt that I was smarter than the system, um, in terms of in which way I may have been. But ultimately, the long game, it doesn't set yourself up for success, right? The short term sure. thinking you might be smarter is gonna you know bite you in the ass when you look on paper not that great. Um, so. When my senior, my last senior game hit, I was crying in the locker room. And then four days later, my dad died, and then I was shipped off. Then I joined the army a week later, two weeks later, in Iraq, Afghanistan. So when I came home, it was really kind of picking up where I felt I had left off. And to the tattoos, you know, origin like freedom isn't free. Like I'm back here, I have all my eligibility. Right. My GI paid for it with you know my service covers my GI bill. I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. And I, and there was a video. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was like yeah. this guy working out and it was like, um, you know, that, that he's like, if you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe. And it's like this mm. dude at college football. And I would watch that video every morning and work out. And I was just like, all right, I'm gonna walk on. Like I have a few months, I'm gonna walk on. But what screwed me again to the big picture of my transcripts and grades, I was a non-qualifier to play college football because I was still being judged or held accountable for my high school transcripts. So no, no school wanted me. I had to go to a community college. So I had to work my ass off a year and train and like all that stuff. And I put out a recruitment video, but to answer your question, bro, like it wasn't just something coming back from war that was like, okay, this is like something random. No, it was like me picking up where I knew I had the ability, but also kind of just utilizing my skill set to maximize it. Like not only play football, but get my education and get my life back on track, get out of PTSD. Like there was so much more of it drawing me than just trying to like go play football. If that sure. Sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, and then after you were at community college, you ended up having to walk on to Clemson, correct? Yeah. So I made a recruitment video um and it went viral isn't that right it went viral yeah it went viral so this is like youtube today is not what it was youtube a decade ago so like nobody was putting out good content a decade ago in mm. terms of like production value like right. i had like legit production like person come out we did like a really i mean we made it look 
immaculate, almost like a 30 for 30, kind of just highlighted my training. And my friend is super talented, Ryan, and his company that he, he sold it, but um, Wandering Hat was the name of the company. And uh, yeah, so we put this thing out there and within, I mean, a, within a few weeks, like it had went viral and a ton of colleges, I mean, probably over a hundred colleges had, had hit me up. I was getting letters in the mail. Like I was flown up to, you know, CBS and Fox. Dan Rather came to my high school to do a, a report on me. Like, mm. and so through all this, um, I really wanted to go to Virginia Tech because I'm from Virginia. But after talking to coach Frank Beamer, he wanted me to do two years at community college. And it just, he just wasn't, he didn't excite me. Like when mm. I talked to him, it was like very, I mean, I just felt like I was talking to an old man and not to, and I was, but not to knock him in any <laughs> guard. Yeah. But when I talked to Sweeney, when coach Sweeney hit me up and I talked to him, it was just like, it was just this energy through the phone that I related to, because I think that's very personable to mine. And, and he was just, he was like, man, I, I want you down here. He's like, and I told him, I was like, look, I'm a non-qualifier. This, that. He's like, look, man, we'll figure all that out. He's like, we'll we'll get you here he's like you just stay stay the course he's like you don't got to do all this so it was just like having the the affirmation that somebody was going to go to bat for you yeah and you know and just telling me like, like he told me straight up he's like i don't even know if you can catch a pass he's like but i want you in my locker room. he's like i am changing the culture here he's like i want you on my team so it just no like having that backing of a coach like right off the get-go was kind of just a no-brainer for me in mm. terms of where I knew my energy needed to be going. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it, that went. Like I made the video went viral coach Sweeney, actually coach Sweeney's boss. So one of our donors, like very few people coach Sweeney has to answer to, but it was fortunate that one of, you know, his bosses saw the video, handed it to him and he called me within the hour. And that's kind of how it unfolded. Unreal. Goodness gracious. Yeah. So, so I mean, after, I mean, hearing all this stuff, college football is much more than just the talent you put out on the field. Locker room, chemistry, and all that stuff really does play a big part in a successful program. Oh, 100%. And you forget, like, you know, you, you're a student athlete. They put it first. You still have to maintain a GPA, class schedule, all that stuff. Yeah. Like, there's – there and, and, and not to – downplay the degrees that most athletes get because it is what it is there's there's geniuses in biochemistry that go by with debris and there's geniuses in communication that go by with debris so mm -hmm. uh, it's say of what you graduate with it's really the time that you have to put into it like the tutoring hours at clemson you have to get 10 hours of tutoring your freshman year triple e you have to maintain a 2.5 or you have to continue your tutoring schedules into your sophomore year mm -hmm. you only Six weeks off a year as a full-time athlete or as a full-time scholarship athlete so you don't even get to go home in the summer you have summer classes you don't get to go home for christmas because we're a top 10 team and we've already made a bowl so we're practicing on christmas day so thanksgiving's gone we're playing south carolina that game that's rivalry week so people that kind of think and and that it's just kind of like that the student athlete is very easy and it's glamorous it right. is to some extent because it is extremely romanticized of our culture but the back end of it in a program to have success to to meet that qualifications and i feel put out a product of genuine men um it takes it takes discipline and it takes and it takes a coach that ex demands more out of you than x's and o's and i i've always been proud of you know having clemson um in that realm of a of a program that did that and held our players accountable suspended sammy watkins and martavis bryant and you know just did a lot of things that didn't just didn't show favoritism in terms of like you know the programs or the players bigger than the program yeah it was all about 
it was about the university and the team. And I think that that's uh, that's that's why we're having the success we are, and people want to come play there. Uh, and it's kind of been put on the map the way it has been. Yeah, and and that's the thing that I was going to mention actually as well. If if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, Clemson, that's awesome, but when did he play? Was it when they were like really on the up and up? You played with guys like you mentioned, Sammy Watkins, Martavis Bryant, Adam um, uh, Humphreys, Hunter Renfro, TJ. I mean, you the list goes on. You weren't just. You didn't even mention DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson. I'm saying Wayne Goldman, he's leading for the NFC East right now. BJ Goodson is a DJ Reader is the highest pit one of the highest paid defensive linemen for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, uh, Mike Williams was a first round draft pick, number six overall to the Chargers. Like studs, bro. Like I play with absolute horses. Sharon Peak was a play for the Jets. He's injured right now. He's coming back, but yeah, man, like. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and then that's not even our defensive line. Big Beasley was at number eight overall pick. Great, Jarrett's the highest paid defensive player on the Atlanta Falcons right now. Um, yeah, like I had a pretty good run, and I played in all thirty-seven consecutive games that I played there. So it wasn't like I just was like a walk-on on the field. Like I saw the field every single time. Yeah, that oh man, that is just insane. So take me through. Oh, did- Dorian, I got to boy Dorian O'Daniel. He's a Super Bowl champion. Dorian O'Daniel for the Kansas City Chiefs linebacker. That's my homie too. Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, so take me through like does eighty three does a number eighty three mean something to you or did it just kind of get issued to you? Kind of got issued, but I kind of grew into a meeting on it because it was funny. I got there, Sweeney's like, "What number? What number do you wear in high school?" And I was like, uh, "Number two. And I don't know if you know anything about Clemson, but Sammy Watkins was just was literally number two like he was the man he's like yeah we might have to get you another number (laughs) (laughs) and so like they're just going through receivers receivers numbers and i didn't really want a 20 or anything like that and he's like you want it i was like nah he's like and then wes welker was 83 and i'm a big i was a big wes welker fan so i I mean i still am you know so i was like yeah i'll do wes welker and then kind of just like i was like kind of just with it and like family and everything and then going on one of the first games I, somebody i saw the program or something was showing me something and it was like on october 3rd uh eight of his brothers died and it was just like one of those things like oh october 3rd eight like 83 so i just always like felt like those numbers kind of rep- represented like eight of my friends died on the third of october so mm. i poured I into that on my own like on my own like accord but it was just really a standard issue um at the beginning okay cool um do you still have most of that incredible gear that Clemson hands up? Because you guys get the absolute hookup from Nike. Well, that's so funny you ask that because the if you would have asked me this a few years ago, yes, I was I was nothing but orange and purple. Like at the start of the year, you get all the stuff, you get shirts, like hoodies, gloves, like everything, leggings. Like I would keep it all. And I would never give it out. Like my friends went, Oh, let me get this. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> and then there was then there was a point where slowly, like slowly, I was just like, Okay, I have too much dang orange. So I I've hardly I have like two or three pieces, maybe two things from like original Clemson. The last time I went to a game though, um my uh, my boy Nick, he still works in equipment and A. I think all of them are still in equipment. Um, I went back there and he gave me a few shirts. So I have a few more modern stuff, but yeah, back in the day you got hooked up and and a lot of it had your number on it and stuff Mm. like that. So you got some really cool, we were Nike school. So we had some really cool swag. It was was dope. Yeah. So you went from being a hoarder to the absolute opposite almost. hundred percent, bro. Like (laughs) 
you can't uh, if you open it, like I, I have a few pieces but like again like it was because it, it's smart marketing too like you brand your athletes when you go on a campus you know your athletes because mm-hmm. they're all sweats and all look they all look like they just stepped out of like you know the ncaa pro shop or whatever like because they got flip-flops with socks on nike socks clemson this head beats by dre around their neck and they're probably on a moped like that's your athlete on campus you guys got mopeds i mean not issue but that's just the way that's just the way we rolled it was just easier to park in front of class and get around like sure and and you know what we're gonna move on into something new right now and that actually includes the moped you made a song about your moped, isn't that right? I did, yeah. There's, there's <laughs> Sammy Watkins and DeAndre Hopkins make a make a cameo in it too. Oh, that's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you customized yeah, that I, thing down, right? You got the, the I, decals? I did, yeah. I um <clears throat> when I first so my best friend is Adam Humphreys. And uh when I first got to campus, he had a moped like him and another guy, a long snapper named Jim Brown, had a moped. And I just, it was like just kind of the culture down there. You don't have to wear a helmet in South Carolina either for motorcycles or anything like that. So it's just fun during the summer to, you know, just be on your little moped, a little 30, you know, 50 CC cruising on campus, trying to pick up girls. Like, so I, as soon as I got there, I was like, yeah, no point in getting a truck, like, or bringing my car on campus. I'm just going to get a moped. So did that. And like, you just have, you have your moped gangs, like you have the same major. So there's like, you know, four or five of you just ro- rolling around campus, honking horns, like just just having fun and then uh yeah i decided to write a song called moped anthem uh, with, a, with another player martin jenkins he made the beat or helped me out with the beat and then yeah i hired a production company um in the summer and i was like yo deandre sammy i got all the guys like all of them were in it and like they're like all about it so I, yeah it's on my youtube page but it was super fun um to make it and just kind of have like a little moped anthem and a tribute to clemson and stuff like that so it was fun Jeez, that's crazy man you you really love that production team uh yeah. experience huh yeah it's cool i mean yeah i like i like i like film. Awesome. like I, I like telling the story through my through my lens so mm-hmm. You know, it's it's you know I I always walk around all day. I even have a song. It's like you know things I've seen. Uh, oh, it's funny. I was like things that I've seen. They should make a motion picture, and it actually came to fruition this year. And I wrote that Jeez. song back in like two two thousand seven. But that's kind of how I walk. Like, just walk around. Like things I've seen. I feel like I'm always looking at it. Like, oh, how would this? How would could somebody else view this? Or how can I tell this? Or how can I put this? Or what angle would be cool here? Like, what's steady cam shots and you know i don't have a background in that but just kind of personally doing it and having been on a few sets um it's just something that really intrigues me that i enjoy that i enjoy uh enjoy doing yeah and i saw the the uh, music video called rise and yeah i mean that was like watching a movie for four minutes so <laughs> it's really cool to see that and and did you have like complete creative rights on that or complete complete creative control when you did that uh, I would say creative control, but not. I didn't. I didn't cultivate everything um, independently. So, um, but I'll go. I'll answer in a second. But yeah, to your to your statement. Yeah, I wanted. I want. I am. Um, I want to rewrite music videos, at least for me. Like, mm. yeah, I enjoy making music, but I think the culture that I grew up with has has slightly changed in the. What, what would I say the the meaning or substance of videos is just kind of mundane like there is no real message there is no weight to it you know sure. when I was a kid there was a storyline to some of the music videos like you you appreciated the art behind it now it's just like 
a ten thousand dollar budget, six cameras, fifteen naked girls in a strip club. No, and absolutely. I guarantee you, there's a G wagon in the song, a, ch- a chain, or ice, or, or somebody has a handful of money, and all your boys are on the stairs around you. Right. And I was just like, like I get it. Like I'm not trying to knock that in any regard, but it's like I've also done movies. Like so, I'm not going to downgrade my ability of acting in showmanship especially when I feel my songs are on just the parallel uh, of richness. So mm-hmm. yeah, I wanted rise to be that level. I like interviewing um, different people, um, cinematographers. I like working a lot with uh, film students. So that rise was done with some USC film students um, mm. that were coming to USC. So it's really, it, it's kind of strategic on how you can piece together your team and how hungry they are. You know, a lot of people will get success and then they put a price tag on it, which is fair. You know, you got to have your rate, but if you can right. find those up, you can find those up and coming guys that really want to make a name for themselves. You can do some really cool stuff um, at, as an independent artist on, on a, a bit of a lower budget. So to be able to do all that and like do the song rise, it was really cool to like, just put it all together and, and make it look like a miniature movie. Cause that's the kind of stuff I wanted to put out. Yeah. And not only did you write the song, make the music, act in it you did your own stunts and everything did you how did you choreograph it and did you actually punch guys <laughs> no so, again it, it's like it is a real art form like in it it's very much like dancing like uh what's the brazilian style like uh cap capoeira or something like that nature where they kind of dance around it's 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 to that degree you know mm. and again it goes on the camera so it's called breaking line of sight um and yes i did write i wrote the song um but like if you punch at an angle and the and as long as your elbow and fist cross the camera in the line of sight of the guy's face, you could be three feet away and you and you can make it look and it looks like it hits Dang. just because line of sight. So there's a lot of like just intricacies and in knowing how to dance more or less in those scenes. Um, but yeah, I, I I used to read as a kid Mission Impossible. I would like I remember seeing the first Mission Impossible and by the end of the night I was rappelling from my stairs like just pretending out. <laughs> Like I would read, a, I would always hear, oh, Tom Cruise does his own stunts. Like he does his own stunts. And so I always knew that if I had a chance to act or, you know, do my own projects, like I'm going to do my own stunts, like everything I do. So that was just always kind of the inspiration as a kid. And then when, you know, even in the movie and outpost, I did my own stunts. Like I got blown up. They're like, they, I didn't have a body double for that. Like I, I did all those runs. I Dang. probably did that 10, 10, 15 times, like hitting the Humvee, like, it was nuts, but I was like, now nah, I'm going to do it. Like, these are my own stunts. <laughs> wow. At least, I mean, the perks of being athletic make it look a little more natural, but, man, that's got to be rough. Yeah, it was super rough, bro. And here's the even crazier thing. People don't even know about this because I'm just healing from it. I was in London, like, two weeks. So I was flying to Bulgaria. I had the timeline. I was like, All right, I'm going to go to London. I had some stuff to do there. Flew to London. I was there for a week, met up with some friends. Like two days before I'm flying to Bulgaria, my one mate said, oh, mate, we go again. You want to come play on the pitch with us? I was like, all right, yeah, sure. So <laughs> I play. I'm an athlete. So I go to play soccer with all these dudes, and I'm stretching pregame warm-up. Mm. And, I, and I pop. I mean, it pops my hamstring. I've never pulled uh. right under my ass cheek. I mean, really, really high, really, really bad. Ooh. And I played the entire game just because that's my – I wasn't going to like – I was like, I just did it like an idiot. So I filmed that entire movie on a ripped hand, not like a torn hamstring, a torn hamstring. So I had to like do all those takes. Like I would like massage in between sets. Like it was, it was, it was debilitating for about a year after just the recovery process. I didn't play basketball or like really run like I used to. So yes, being athletic really helped, but I was, I was in dire pain actually filming that movie. 
wow. and it helped too. It helped. It actually probably it didn't help. It was hurtful and every it would have been, it didn't help at all. But <laughs> but it, a lot of those takes, it looks faster than it really is. Mm. So there are a few times where I'd run and they're like, "You got to slow down," and I'm like, "Oh, thank God, <laughs> thank God." <laughs> take it easy. Take it easy. Thank God. So yeah, like, yeah, some of those takes were are good, but they were also very appreciative that I could keep going over and over again and, and kind of get it right to how they like. So, and, and take the beating, uh, like, you know, I didn't, I didn't find it. Continue to strain that leg so much every time. I just, I told myself that too. I was like, I have all the time in the world to recover. Just don't, you got to make it through this. Mm. Cause I picking myself when I did it on the, on the, on the pitch, I like, like it hurt. I knew it was going to be bad, but I also like you spring back from injuries as an athlete early on, you have stem and ice, you get re you get, needles you get cupped like you get massaged like so the process of bouncing back when you have a support system around you 24 7 is much easier to attain than when you're in a hotel room in bulgaria and everybody wants to go out drinking every night after the after the after you're done filming so like it's just it was two different worlds and i just had to like continue to like i'd go down in between every night after the we get back from the hotel i'd go to the gym get in the pool get in the uh recovery i was literally doing recovery after the movie work out every morning just stay consistent on making sure my muscles were hydrated and loose because i knew that hamstring i couldn't let it just sit up like yeah. so it was like rolling out like every day like it, it was it was it was kind of gruesome and, and brutal but it was also a lot of positive energy and a big again a bigger project at hand so i felt like my hamstring was so minuscule um proportion to what was what was really taking place and what was really being done. So, yeah. Well, Daniel, among the, uh, all the other things we've talked about, I mean, it, the list goes on. You're an author as well. And so you have a book out. Um, it's been out since 2014. It's called rise, a soldier, a dream and a promise kept. Uh, what would you say to our listeners about this book that you would want them to know uh, when they're thinking about maybe going to purchase it or, or, or listen to it on audible, man, firstly, I would say, I'm sorry that audible is not my voice. I was not informed. I actually got very mad at my publishing agency when I heard that they didn't, they didn't even offer me to do my voice. Like they didn't ask me to read it. I was like, what are you talking about? You just have some random dude reading my book. Yeah. So I'm, that can't, that is not my voice. Um, but I would say in anticipation or expectation is just, it's just, a tr uh, you know, just a true story. And it's also not sugarcoated. You know, when I was approached to do it, um, I declined the first time or I was very unsure. And then, you know, I was kind of, you know, one of my buddy's friends was like, Hey, I think this would be really good and insightful for people in your position or other veterans struggling. And mm. I, and part of my, uh, my like clause, if you will, is when I talked to the author or the, my, my ghostwriter and the publishing people, I was like, look, this isn't going to be some remember the Titans Disney shit. Like I got, this is going to be raw. It's going to be real. It's going to, mm -hmm. you know, autobiography. I was like, you know, and I have buddies that I served with. And if this is false in any way, they're going to hold me accountable for it. So you might not like everything you hear what I say. And they were, it, it made it, made them even more happier. They're like, Oh yes, this is what we want. Yeah. So when it made all the expectations in terms of what I knew I could, I had say of every word going in, every word is mine going in there. Like I was like, okay, I'll do it. So, um, I would tell people that it's in, it's just a true genuine story. Um, you know, one of, of determination and kind of just a very, you know, I've been called Forrest Gump a few times. Like, you're like, you have a very Forrest Gump type of life <laughs> so, just everywhere. 
Yeah, kind of just everywhere, just running, uh, you know, football to combat in the back, you know, stuff like that. So it's uh, it's it's kind of a cool journey, and 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 people really, um, I've, it's gotten great feedback as well. You know, people um, have still reached out to this day. Um, it's got a message on my LinkedIn. Some guys like, hey, me, I couldn't put your book down. So it's it's cool. It's cool to have a, a token of that out there in the world that's well received and 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 is me. Yeah, it's got over a hundred and forty reviews on Amazon and almost five stars. I mean, that, that really is saying something you get three, four reviews and, and five stars. Okay. But this, is, this has some real, uh, some real critics behind it that are saying this is really good. So I'm definitely going to buy myself a copy. I'm excited to check it out. And, uh, I urge, um, listeners to do the same. All right. So I also wanted to know about this because I've always like, you'll see like an NFL player, write a book you'll see a, an NBA player that you know they'll say like they don't have time for stuff like that so how do you how did you make time to write the book did you actually write or like you were saying about um, ghostwriters and help uh, did you just kind of voice what it was and they helped kind of put that to paper yeah so I had a ghostwriter and I would say mo- well I know most of the athletes and such also have ghostwriters to and it's twofold because unless you're a big name, just putting out something that has a big audience, you have no credibility in the writing world. So how people get traction is you have a ghostwriter who is a New York times bestseller of X, Y, and Z of these books. So in my instance, when I was approached by the book, my friend was like, um, he's like, Hey, or I wouldn't call him my acquaintance. He's a buddy. I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, but he was uh, CBS for Dan Rather's camera crew. And he's like, Hey, I have a friend named Joe Layden who did Kobe Bryant's book, Autobiography, mm. The Rock Johnson's Autobiography, and also a gentleman named Sal Guntes, who was the last like two or three Medal of Honor recipients ago. And um, he's like, I just think it would be a really good fit if you guys were to link and there was pot- potential chemistry. So he had already been an established New York Times bestselling author, and it's extremely advantageous for anybody to work that's trying to break into the literary um, realm to work with somebody of his nature because everybody wants to work with him. He has a following. He's already proven himself. People know that he writes good books. So when I talked to him, I, again, interviewed him, like, you know, how is this going to be? And like, you know, read some of his works. And it was a very, I mean, meticulous. He flew down to South Carolina because I was, I was a junior in college when I wrote it or when we wrote it. Um, and he came down for a week and we literally interviewed every day in the off season, four or five hours a day, go out to lunch. It's like in detail, like extremely like wow. graphic and, and sad and kind of like I exposed everything, like became very vulnerable. And I would say every few days we'd be back and forth with how he, this piece sounded like, does this you, is this me? And I would go back, make the corrections and then send it back to him and, you know, go back to my classes or whatever. So it was, he did the bulk of the work in terms of just him being that good of a writer and kind of, uh, but he also says, he's like, you told it so real and powerful. He's like, I really didn't have to say, I, he's like, I didn't have to change much. Mm. So it was just kind of having that nice um, chemistry and working with somebody who is an established ghost or is established writer, become your ghost writer and then put it to market. So that's kind of how that's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful scenario for me. Like it, you yeah. know, it's very difficult to write your own book, have no credibility, go to a publisher and say, Hey, will you put the, especially for an advancement, like people, because Joe Layden doesn't work for free, but having Joe Layden to your name, somebody will pay you to now write a template because we're, we're, we're willing to invest in you now that Joe Layden's on your team. Jeez. So yeah. So it was, what a it business. Was, 
yeah it's it's wild it's wild you could write the best book and have no name to you and nobody will even pick it up mm-hmm. like maybe somebody will maybe somebody will vouch for you but it's very few and far between like for the athletes um to my knowledge most of them have an, a, an established ghostwriter or somebody who's working with them um to put out the best story so that's 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 how it worked for me uh daniel can you tell us a little bit about where to find your uh music as well before we uh, before we go yeah no so i'm available everywhere on itunes spotify um, amazon music pandora i go by uh, danny del rey so my name is daniel ray um but yeah so danny del rey is my stage name and uh yeah my uh i, I have a instagram danny del rey music so it's it's cool i'm just you know kind of an independent artist just put out my first album about four weeks ago um it's doing well it's got some good traction i've got some uh you know some promising some more videos that i'm that i'm going to be releasing mm. uh I had a track with young buck who was like a you know a g unit guy back in the day um that i really like so you know i got a, a some few a few features on there that were pretty cool and i have a new i have a new mixtape dropping this month called no chorus so i'm really excited to release this one and two more music videos um so yeah just just busy trying to make the most of the the 2020 downtime or the quarantine and you know everything that's existed uh, upon us in, in this country so um yeah i've got some really cool music check it out it's at danny del rey um on all the platforms that you can get it at wow wow you stay grinding daniel that's there's no doubt <laughs> i do man i try to <laughs> all right daniel you got to tell me a little bit about your journey uh to being able to play a little bit with the with the rams i know that uh, you went undrafted so that's even more of a journey than somebody that got drafted. They have, uh, you know, their foot in the door already. You had to go the back through the back door. Yeah, I would say, I would say it's 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 still the it's still a door, right? Like you know, it's <laughs> it's a door. Like sure, but yeah, like because, like I said earlier on, like my dream as a kid was to play in the NFL. So as I started to have the the sensation of football again and kind of see the process i had nfl scouts at my practices every single day we have a room in the facility that has on the on the little title out front like you have wide receivers room db room nfl scout room where they go in and while you're in the room next to them they're just watching film watching film of all our practices all the nfl scouts come through so i i knew that i could because it's their job to scout that's what they do so i knew that if i could make good plays in practice and showcase there and you know just do what I needed to like that was my playing time that was my field so you know I went out and I would run scout team and and just try to ball out as much as I could and make a name for myself and I remember uh the spring game I was leading me I was a leading receiver um and uh the Chicago Bears scout said something to my coach and he came up and told me and I was like just I had that's when I had like the feeling I was like all right I can do this no matter what kind of comes out of this like i'm gonna make a i'm gonna make a push for the nfl mm. because i would have my chance at pro day and so oh uh, and this is a cool story so my official visit at clemson um it was actually the senior class that i didn't play with pro day and i got to sit in the back of the team room and i saw all these guys come in front of all 32 nfl scouts in this big room auditorium and every team that was interested would say tell me your top five games um uh what positions do you play what, what was this DUI for at 20 years old? How do you wow. have children? Like 
grill them, grill them, grill them. So I had an idea of what was going to be asked of me during my pro day. So I went, I trained at Exos out in California, in Southern California, which is a prolific um, uh, training compound. You know, everybody trains there. And so I went out there, trained, got, got right, came back to South Carolina, ran a decent 40, had like, I think like I had like 11 or 12 reps on 225, nothing crazy, but broke 10. Um, and just like, put out and then when i went in, into the room i knew exactly what they were going to ask me and i told them these are my best games i even told them my spring game was one of my best games you should watch that film like my biggest punt return here i did this this and this i can hold field goals um everything and so and then i was walking out and uh coach sweeney and coach mccorvey go danny danny you got to tell them about your military and so i briefly just told him i was like listen you know i you know did this that or 27 months of combat you know i've got a few you know purple hearts type stuff and I was like, truth be told, I was like, I actually have more confirmed kills and completions. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they all just started laughing, and I got a standing <laughs> ovation from literally the entire NFL scout room. Uh, <laughs> so on draft day, I wasn't expecting – I had no expectations of being drafted. Um, but there's always that Mr. Irrelevant, too. Like, like you maybe, maybe you'll be the last pick. Maybe you'll, somebody will just draft you just because – Sure. Um, but nothing, nothing happened. And then two days later, I still hadn't made a phone call. And again, my best friend is Adam Humphreys, who's the highest paid player on highest paid receiver on the Tennessee Titans right now, signed a $40 million contract. He was also undrafted if for the back door, if you will. Wow. Uh, me and him were talking to each other and he's like, bro, ain't nobody called me. I was like, me either, man. He's like, yeah, dude, like it's, you know, I don't know what to do. I got to get a job. And then I called him the next day. I'm like, bro, the, the Rams reached out to me. I was like, and the, well, the Washington football team also reached out to me. And he goes, <laughs> the, goes the Lions reached out to me, bro. He's like, the, and the Buccaneers reached out to me. I was like, dude, I'm going to go to to the Rams because, they, you know, they're the first one. I was like, no, Tavon hasn't made it back, made it through a season healthy, like punt return. I was like, I think I'll have the best opportunity. And the Red, or the, the Washington had just drafted Jamison Crowder out of Duke. So it was like literally the same guy as me. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to try to go to Washington unless it doesn't work out Yeah, with the Rams. So I went there, had a good two-day showing, had a catch on Janoris Jenkins, who's like a pretty good – he's an all-pro receiver – or a d defensive uh, back. Um, they brought me in as a punt returner. And, yeah, so I was signed as an undrafted free agent and played four preseason games. And I was actually concussed against Kansas City in the third quarter against the fourth preseason game. And I was oh. waived. Yeah, I was waived on uh, injury. I had six weeks to come back, and I, I kind of lost the love for it. I thought I was going to make a push for it, maybe play in Canada, maybe play overseas. But as it kind of lingered, the the hit and also just the competitive nature of me wanting to sustain that lifestyle slowly deflated from my from my sales. Mm. It was just like I, th I felt like because it, it was like, okay, I've gotten a lot out of this game. Um, and I felt like it was starting to take the toll on me and that, and that was important because I walked away from football with probably other than mentally mental health. I walked away from football with more lingering injuries than I did at war. Like sure. I've separated both my AC joints. I've broken fingers. I've played and on uh, fractured eighth and ninth rib. Um, mm. uh, who knows how many ankles just hamstring strain you just like little things that you just wear and tear in your body that have compound lingering effects not to mention the hits and the concussions i took or the, that i took so like when i was really you know being real and kind of painting the picture truthfully and having you know 
you're you're right they're like daniel like this is an incredible thing like you've lived out where you wanted to be and it's like you might go out there next time and and hurt yourself even worse or something else and Mm. as soon as i started thinking like that i knew that my run was over i was like i got so it was it was an amazing process um in terms of putting myself out there and knowing exactly that i was going to have a chance to do it and and take the chance like a lot of people don't go to their pro day a lot of walk-ons don't even show up they're like i don't have a chance and i was i was sold that i was going to get on a team somewhere and 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 if i didn't it wasn't going to be because of my lack of effort so that was kind of how that that unfolded yeah I, I like the fact that you say that because like we talked about um you know we if if a kid is listening to this if an athlete's listening to this and they have aspirations to go and play professional football baseball basketball anything like that you just can't be you know with lack of better words a diva right you said you can hold kicks you can uh return you can play whatever position you need me at i'll be right there doing whatever it is that you need me to do because i want to claw my way up to the top kind of like you said about adam humphreys he was he was undrafted as well and now i mean that's just ridiculous so um yeah for anybody that's listening it's a proof of it's just a proof of proving yourself like that's how i see it especially if you're not a scholarship athlete going in, like, you know, there is going to be, there is going to be uh, not a favoritism, but an expectation of the recruited guy of the guy that is on scholarship. But if you're a walk on, like you should be salivating at every opportunity that he messes up or that he doesn't do good. And, or in, in the same nature as an undrafted person, like, I, like to get onto a roster, like when you see people in the NFL, that make it, they just worked harder. They either, they had the, the, outstanding ability have had great have 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 had a great college career and they're that much better of a dominant athlete but then there's the middle tier that make up the meat and potatoes mm. they're just guys who stuck with it who just yeah. worked really hard who worked outwork had have some luck in terms of not being injured but it's just continuing to prove yourself going out there getting bigger stronger faster like you're you don't reach your prime until you're almost 30 32 so it's like people who 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 can't Sustain, and I know there's a ton of variables in terms of you know sustaining a life where you can't train every day. I get that, but the proof and just proving yourself or, or having that is the mindset that you have to that you have to have, especially as an underdog or somebody who's not going to you know be a highly recruited guy or probably going to be a walk on or be undrafted. Just show up every day, you know. Line up, Herm. I spoke one time, and Herm. Ed, I spoke behind Herm Edwards, and we were just chatting in the back, and he goes, "You know what?" 50% of the NFL man is just lining up right. He's like, people cut themselves, Daniel. People cut themselves. They don't even yeah. know where to line up. And, th- and that's it. You got to just be smart, know, know their job, know the coverage, like, you know, be a good team player and just work hard. And if you have the athletic ability that got you on that stage in the first place, which is you should, like, you wouldn't, you know, like, if you have that capability, then you just got to outwork the next man. And the injuries are going to – look at this year. If you were a – there's, I bet you there's a thousand, a thousand guys kicking themselves right now maybe even more that two years ago or a year and a half ago they just they they said fuck it i'm done like no mm-hmm. this this uh, the system blah blah and if they would have stuck with it their phones would probably be ringing right now when there were no quarterbacks for can or for saints broncos when there was no rosters people i think the ravens brought up like six practice squad inactive people that's your opportunity man. yeah that's your bra- that's your foot like you got it you just got to continue to prove yourself like and 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 sell that lie as long as you can that this is what you belong this mm-hmm. is what you want you're gonna go after and you know once you start losing that then it's kind of then it's kind of like in terms of that nature because you're taking somebody's food off somebody's plate like these boys have worked their entire life to get that salary yeah and it's very 
very hard to make it. So, you know, I just tell people just work hard, continue to prove yourself. And, uh, you know, even if you think you're overlooked, don't worry about that. Just do you as best as you can. And the film doesn't lie. If you make plays, it's going to stand out. Absolutely. All right, Daniel, my last question for you is, uh, it's, it's actually fantasy football related. Do you strictly draft or do you always have at least one of your friends on your fantasy football team if, or when you play it? I've never played fantasy. Oh, you've never played fantasy football. Okay. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Hey Daniel, um, once again, man, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an honor to have you. Um, and I have to say it again, man, thank you so much for your service. Um, I can't wait to see what's next for you. I appreciate it, Trey. Thank you again for having me. All right, guys. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Daniel Rodriguez. You can find him on Instagram at Danny Del Rey Music. And uh, also, I just wanted to say, if you have a chance, you want to spare a few seconds, believe me, it means so much more than you even know. If you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the above, or anywhere that you're listening to podcasts, believe me, it would mean the world to us. But thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you next time.